The following audio is from Story City Church in Burbank, California. For more information on Story City, go to storycitychurch.com. All right. Well, if you have a Bible this morning, you go ahead and open it up to the book of Ecclesiastes. We've been in a series called This Absurd Life, um, and we've been walking through this book of Ecclesiastes. I personally have this conviction about... <clears throat> preaching series. I personally don't like to preach through a series more than six weeks at a time. So this is week nine and this has been stretching me, but I feel like Ecclesiastes has been so good. And we have just a few weeks left and we're going to be uh, finishing this series by the end of this month and then launching into a brand new series this summer. And we've got a couple series this summer I'm really, really pumped about. But if you have a Bible, go ahead and open it up. If you didn't bring one this morning, that's okay. We're going to put scriptures on the screen. Ecclesiastes chapter nine today. Um, to this point, we've been in the series called This Absurd life. We focused on this one word. Um, in the Hebrew, it's, the word is hevel. And hevel gives us this idea of meaninglessness. But some commentators say that's not the full picture of what this word is. It's used 39 times throughout the book of Ecclesiastes. And the full meaning of that word, one commentator says, is the word absurd. And so Solomon takes this word, the writer of this book, and he uses it in the context of so many things in life, from work to wealth to wisdom to accumulating possessions. And he says it's all absurd from his perspective under the sun. Now, last week we began to turn the corner in this series because Solomon was looking at all aspects of life and he's making a comment on them. And it's his commentary on how all of these things seem absurd. But now in the last five chapters, Solomon is saying we're going to turn the corner. And now in light of the absurdity of life, this is how we should live. And so this morning, we're going to be in Ecclesiastes chapter 9, and we're going to focus on something this week as I prepared. Um, it's really convicting to me. It was so good for me, and I hope it will be good for you today. So let me pray for us, and uh, we're going to jump right into Ecclesiastes chapter 9. Jesus, this is your word. God, speak to us deeply to the depths of our soul. May the spirit of the living God speak to our hearts and our minds, and our ears, our hands, and our feet, and help us walk in the direction, God, that the Spirit of the living God would speak to us today. In Jesus' name we pray, amen and amen. Hey, it's almost summer. I don't know if this it means a big deal to you, but like summertime is the season of vacation. They might do their vacations during the summer. Uh, I, this is how our family does it. Um, we vacation during the summer because our kids are in school during the year. And I love the summer. I, I particularly love vacation. But I don't know if you ever had this experience. Like you go off on vacation and you come home, whether it's a week, five days, two weeks, and you come home and you're like, oh my gosh, I'm more exhausted now than when before I went on vacation, right? Like I just need one more week of vacation just to rest. Anybody ever had that experience before? You do it like, I'm going to read this book and that book. I'm going to sit on the beach and I'm going to take phone calls. And all of a sudden your boss calls and they want you to solve a problem or you're checking in with work because of your cell phone, you're cyber tethered to your work and you get to the end of vacation and you're like, oh my gosh, this did not go like I thought it was, right? You ever been there before? Um, I read this article this week by this Boston College professor who said in medieval times, medieval times, the work schedule and calendar was drastically different than it is today. In fact, the average worker in medieval times worked less than a half a year, less than 180 days a year, and the remainder of the year was spent on worship and celebration and reflection. And um, I'm not suggesting we trade medieval times with modern times. Like, I like a lot about where, you know, the times we live in. But, but it, it reminded me, I read this study 
um, also this week by this, uh, this was a report by a project called Project Time Off. And they found out that the average American worker has 17 days of vacation a year. And the majority, 54%, don't even take their entire vacation during the year. In fact, the report says, in total, there are 662 million days a year that American workers work above and beyond that's required by their job, right? And then what makes it worse is this idea that when we go on vacation, this report said, two-thirds of us take work with us. You know what I'm talking about here? And so it's reminded me um, this week as I'm preparing for this passage and what Solomon wants to speak to us, um, that I believe most of us really don't have an accurate depiction, a biblical idea of what it means to enjoy life. Like we're stressed, we experience this anxiety, and a lot of it is wrapped in how we live our lives. One philosopher said, the world of work is becoming our entire world he goes on to say, and it threatens to engulf us completely. And so I don't know if that's your experience. I don't know if you just came off a of vacation. I have seen some of our people that attend here um, have gone overseas recently. But I believe Solomon today wants to speak to this idea of enjoying life, of enjoying life. So without any qualifications around what the scriptures say about how to enjoy life, can I just ask you, just in your mind, you don't have to raise your hand, write it down, send me a text, on a scale of one to 10, one being not at all, 10 being this is the best life ever, how are you enjoying life? How are you enjoying life? How much do you enjoy? Solomon wants to address that today, and I believe it's gonna be good. It was good and instructive for me this week, and I hope it's gonna be good for you. Ecclesiastes chapter nine, starting in verse one. And this is what Solomon says. So I reflected on all this. And he says, and then I concluded that the righteous and the wise and what they do, if you have something right within you, have a physical Bible in your hand, you might want to underline this because this is so good. And I reflected on this and the righteous and the wise and what they do, Solomon says, are in God's hands. And then he goes on to say, but no one knows whether love or hate awaits them. He's going to paint this picture of life being so predictable and, and about the predictability of life and how things don't turn out how we thought they would turn out. And he goes on to say, and all share a common destiny. What is this common destiny that he's talking about? The righteous and the wicked, the good and the bad, the clean and the unclean, those who offer sacrifices and those who do not. As it is with the good, Solomon says, so with the sinful. As it is with those who take oaths, so those who are afraid to take them. And then he says in verse three, this is the evil in everything that happens under the sun. Now listen to what he's saying. The same destiny overtakes us all. Solomon's gonna, again, if you were here last week, Solomon is again gonna talk about death. And you're like, oh my gosh, I thought we were turning the corner here and this is gonna be like, okay, the first seven chapters, first six chapters of Ecclesiastes were very somber, like nothing has meaning. And now he's gonna say, surprise, actually it really does. So you expect the next five chapters to be really positive. And so when you read Ecclesiastes chapter nine, initially you're like, oh my gosh, why is he such a Debbie Downer, okay? And so he's gonna say here, the same destiny overtakes us all, regardless of who you are. This is what that destiny is, the hearts of people people, moreover, are full of evil, and there is madness in their hearts while they live. And afterwards, they join, what does he say? The dead. That's the common destiny that all of us share. Anyone who is among the living has hope, 
Even a live dog is better off than a dead lion. First four verses here, Solomon's going to reintroduce this idea of death that we saw last week in chapter 7. And it's like, oh my gosh, Solomon, why are you so somber? And Solomon's making a point here. As he talks about death, he's going to remind us that there are so many things in life that are not certain. Things don't turn out the way you thought they were going to turn out. But there's one thing in life that's certain, and that one thing is death. Now, the book of Ecclesiastes is what we consider in Scripture a wisdom book. There's also another wisdom book that Solomon wrote. It's called the book of Proverbs. And sometimes when we read the book of Proverbs, sometimes when we read the book of Ecclesiastes, it reads like this book of guarantees. In other words, you read it, and it says, if you do this, then this will happen. And so as we read that, oftentimes we, we have this posture like, like, well, the Bible said, if I did this, then this result was going to come to fruition. For example, Proverbs chapter 3 says, honor the Lord with your first fruits. Work hard and be honest and God will bless you with wealth, honor, and riches. But then you begin to think, wait a minute, I know people who have worked hard their entire life. They've lived generously and they were never wealthy. And they were never honored for how they work. And then you got Proverbs chapter 6, verse 10 and 11. Solomon says, a little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest. He's talking about a lazy person. And then he goes on to say, a lazy person, poverty will come on you like a thief and scarcity like an armed man. You're like, well, wait a minute. I know people who've never worked in their entire life and they've got it good. I had a friend here this week who's got a relative who's never worked a day in his life. He literally plays golf every single day. He inherited eight figures from his father and he spends his life playing golf. And you're like, wait a minute. Proverbs said if I was lazy and if I didn't work, then I would become poor. And then you read, if you're a parent, Proverbs chapter 22, verse 6, and you know this, raise up a child in the way he should go. And when he is old, what does it say? He will not what? Depart from it. And you're like, wait a minute. But I know a family has got two kids. That one of them grew up to be a pastor and the other went to jail, right? That's not my sister, by the way. That's who I'm talking about, right? But you read Proverbs and you're like, oh my gosh, this is a book of guarantees. God, if I do this, God, you're obligated to this. And so Ecclesiastes reads the same way. Now, let me say this to you. I believe if we read Proverbs that way and Ecclesiastes that way, there's much greater wisdom in following what those books say. And I believe your life is better if you do. However, the wisdom of Proverbs, the wisdom of Ecclesiastes is not fail safe. It's not fail safe. And it's not the inevitable conclusion if you follow it. And many, many of us know that by experience, right? Many of us know that by life experience. You operated your business the right way, and it still went bankrupt. You, you conducted your marriage in such a way that you were faithful to your spouse, and yet your spouse cheated on you, and they left you. You worked hard for a lot of years, and at the end of the day, at the end of life, you didn't have a savings account. You didn't have a retirement account. And Solomon says, life is full of these kinds of moments. Even here in chapter 9, in Ecclesiastes chapter 9, near the very end of the passage, Ecclesiastes chapter 9, it speaks of a man, a wise old man, and he saved his city because of his wisdom. Yet there were people who figured out a way to take the credit for saving their city, and so those people got honored and he got forgotten. And so we have here the first four ver verses of chapter 9, 
Solomon is sort of reminding us in a way that he said so many times in this book, that life is not actually meaningless, but at times it does seem absurd. It's not meaningless, but at times it does seem absurd because the things that you thought you could count on, the things that you thought were going to happen, they never came to fruition. And so Solomon reminds us here in the first four verses, a principle that we can write down and we can count on, and it's true for everybody who ever lived except for Jesus. Death is the only certainty of life. Death is the only certainty of life. And he's speaking to this idea of the uncertainty of life and how we live our life. And so he's going to try to make this point that at some point in life, this idea of Hevel, it's just going to hit the fan. This idea of absurdity, it's just going to happen in your life. And if you've built this perspective of God, if you've built this idea of God that if you just do what Proverbs says, then God will be obligated this way. At some point, it's not going to turn out that way and it's not going to come to fruition the way you thought it would be. But the only sure thing in life, Solomon says, is death. And the reason for that is because of sin. The pastor who preaches every single Sunday, the retired grandmother who's living on social security yet still tithing to her church, the guy who drank too much and killed the pedestrian, the actress who said, I'm not going to sleep around to advance my career, the student who makes good grades and never cheated, the single mom who reads her Bible every single day and prays for her kids. You've heard this saying before, good things happen to good people. Bad things happen to bad people. The reality that Solomon is bringing us to is that both good people and bad people the same thing happens to them. Both of them eventually die. This week I had uh, some friends in town from Atlanta and we were reminiscing a little bit about, about some friends and friendships in the past. And I was reminded of this lady that we were all friends with. And um, she used to promote and, and sell and encourage people to take uh, Juice Plus. Anybody take Juice Plus? You know what that is? Anybody have an idea? You probably have an idea of what Juice Plus. I take Juice Plus. We don't sell it. This is not a pitch. It's just this full day supplements of all your fruits and vegetables that you need in a day. And so I love Juice Plus. So I take it most every day. I took it this week because my father-in-law's in town and he loves Wiener Schnitzel's chili dogs. And so I took fruits and vegetables this week knowing I could eat six chili dogs and everything would be okay because I got everything I needed right? And so this one lady that we're friends with, she, also, she used to always promote Juice Plus and she'd sell it to a lot of our friends and, and she was constantly talking about the health benefits of it and, and how it would bring down your blood pressure and it was good for your heart. It was good for all of these things. And then one day there was a staff party at work and she went to the bathroom and she'd been gone for a while. And people looked around and they're like, hey, where is Jana? We haven't seen her in a while. I think she went to the bathroom. Somebody probably should go check on her because it's been quite a while since she went to the bathroom. They went to the bathroom and they found Jana dead in one of the stalls. And so Solomon is posturing this sort of somber idea to us, but it's not postured to us in such a way that life should be somber. It's postured to us to remind us that life is filled with uncertainty. The things you thought you could count on may never come to fruition. But all of us have a shelf life. And it's good that we eat well, that we exercise, we try to extend our life. Those things are good and right. But none of us know when our shelf life will be up. Except for verse 1 tells us one person. And verse 1 says, but all of our lives are what? They're what? In who? In God's hands. He knows 
And in the midst of all of this uncertainty, it's like Solomon, the, the, the last couple chapters you've talked about death. Where, why do you have to be so harsh? Why do you have to have such a cold perspective about life? We've heard Solomon say this multiple times. So in light of this uncertainty in life, what do we do with it? Look to where Solomon is going here in verse 5. He says, for the living know that they will die, but the dead know nothing. They have no further reward, and even their name is forgotten. Now listen to what he says here in verse 6. If you have a Bible physically, I want to encourage you to write this down or underline it. He says, their love, their hate, and their jealousy have long since vanished. Never again will they have a part in anything that happens under the sun. The preacher says here, when you die, everything you loved, everything you hated, and everything you are jealous over will be gone. It's as if Solomon wants to make this statement to us here in 2018. Whatever you're doing today, you're making an investment in your life. It's an investment in your time, an investment of your energy, an investment of your emotions. You are working on something today. Things you love, things you hate, things you are jealous over. And so Solomon uses this sort of shock value of death to say, look, at some point, it's all going to come to an end. What are the things that you're investing in and do they have any sort of value? And I would imagine that a lot of us in an auditorium in Los Angeles in 2018, a lot of us probably have things in our life that are consuming our time. They're consuming our time in such a way that they're robbing us of the joy that God intends today. You know what I'm talking about? You feel that? Do you sense that? And so Solomon is pointing us here, not specifically to death, but something beyond death. He's actually pointing us to real life in light of death. Life that's full of joy. It's not robbed by the mundane things of life. It's not robbed by the pain in life. It's not robbed by the struggles in life. It's as if Solomon is saying, because death is the only thing that is certain. Because death is the only thing that is certain, you should be given your times that are valuable your time to things that are valuable. You should be giving your time to things that are eternal. And what are those things? What are those things? Solomon says here in verse seven, go, eat your food with gladness. Drink your wine or your cheer wine or your Dr. Pepper with a joyful heart. For God has already approved what you do. Such a statement there. Such a statement that Solomon is making. It's the closest thing that we have to this idea of a New Testament theology that we're not approved by our works, but we are approved by what God has done. He goes on in verse eight and says, always be clothed in white. In the time that Solomon's writing, it's similar to the times today. You go to a wedding and the bride is simply wearing white. In joyous occasions, we wear white. In Solomon's day, in joyous occasions and celebrations, they wore white. Solomon is making the statement about all of life. And then he goes on to say, and always anoint your head with oil. In these days, most people would use olive oil as sort of a deodorant, as sort of a, um, a stink um, uh, uh, depressant, right? And so, but in, in celebration, in, in days of celebration, in days of joy, they would put on perfume. Solomon, again, is making a statement about all of life. Wear white, put on perfume. Then he goes on to say in verse nine, enjoy life with your wife whom you love all the days of this absurd life, he goes on to say, that God has given you under the sun. All your absurd days, he goes on to say, for this is your lot in life and in your toilsome labor under the sun. Verse 10, whatever you put your hand to, 
do it with all your might. For in the realm of the dead, where you're going, there is nothing that, that there is neither working nor planning nor knowledge nor wisdom. You know, it's funny when you read passages like this, and Solomon, by the way, this is the fifth time that Solomon's going to make a statement about life, enjoying life, eating and drinking, enjoying friendships and relationships. This is the fifth time in the book of Ecclesiastes that he mentioned it. It's not the last time. He's going to say it again in Ecclesiastes chapter 11. Sometimes we read passages like this and we respond in one of several ways, depending on our view of how it is that we grow in godliness. We call it holiness in the scriptures. Some of us read passages like that and it scares us because we've got sort of this ascetic view of life. I did when I was younger, when I first come to Jesus. I thought, you know what? The way to grow in godliness is to extract the fun and the pleasure and the things out of my life so I can grow in godliness. The problem with that was, and still is, is that I didn't have an appropriate understanding of the gospel. I didn't have an appropriate understanding of the gospel knowing and understanding that the beating of Jesus' body was sufficient for my complete salvation. And the beating of my body was not going to add to my salvation. So some of us read passages like this when Solomon says, enjoy life, eat and drink and be merry and enjoy friendships and relationships. Like, whoa, that scares me a little bit. Is Solomon calling me to a life of hedonism? Because I believe the way to grow in God is to extract those things from life. And then there's other people who read a passage like this and these are what we may call cheap grace Christians. In other words, Jesus saved me and now my life can be filled with any sort of self-indulgence, any sort of self-pleasure, even to the point of it being destructive in my life. And cheap grace Christians oftentimes are looking for a way to make up lost time, if you will. But then there's sort of a third way that's really the biblical, the, the, the systematic way if we read scripture and understanding holiness and growing in godliness there's a way to look at what Solomon is writing here and to say there are things in life that God has redeemed. There are things in life that should be enjoyed and intended to be enjoyed with God as an act of worship. And so Solomon says all of those things, um, all of these are things that Solomon says are worth your time. They're worth your time while you are living. And so he says spend time. Spend time living before you die doing these things. What does he say? He says, go. That's the first thing that Solomon says, go. As if Solomon is saying, hey, get up. Get up and live. Death is coming, no doubt. It's certain. It's the only thing certain in life. But God has given you so many gifts, so enjoy them today. Again, this is the fifth time we see Solomon saying this in the entire book. It must mean something to us. He's going to say it again later. And we need to be clear here what Solomon is not saying. Solomon is not saying spend your life um, in a life of hedonism. He's not saying spend your life indulging yourself with every pleasure and everything that you believe, even if it may be self-destructive in your life. Remember in chapter 2, if you were here, Solomon said pleasure for the sake of pleasure has no value in your life. In chapter six, Solomon talks about accumulating wealth and possessions and saying, if you do that, they are not going to guarantee happiness. But all of the gifts, all of the experiences Solomon is gonna mention here, every time he mentions them, they're in the context of, of being what Solomon calls a gift from God. The things that Solomon mentions here are the common experiences of life. And so he's not calling us to this life of joy, meaning a life of self-indulgence. He's calling us to this life that's content with everything that God has given in light of the brevity of life. What does he say? Eat, drink, 
Enjoy your wife or have a wife or a husband and then enjoy. Work hard and enjoy it all. Um, when I was growing up, I was 18 years old before I ever left the state of South Carolina. Um, I grew up in a home that we were just hard workers and we never really went outside of our, our sphere. And so we just grew up in one place. And I, I was 18 before I ever got out of the state of South Carolina. And, um, and I was like 20 before I ever got on an airplane. And, um, and so I had this idea as a kid growing up. Like I knew there was a world out there um, beyond South Carolina. And I always had this thought, as soon as I get old enough, some of you guys will resonate with this. I'm getting out of here. You know what I'm talking about? You ever thought that? As soon as I grow up, I'm getting out of here. I'm leaving what all of this stuff behind, all of the world that I once knew. So I went off to college and I went off like three hours away. It was still in the state of South Carolina, but I graduated college and then I moved to Denver. And then after I was in Denver, I moved to Baltimore. And then after I was in Baltimore, I moved to Raleigh, North Carolina. And for three summers in a row, I spent the summers in New Mexico, California, and Canada. And then after that time in my life, I've literally traveled the world. And I've been on this pursuit to, to never go back to the things that I left behind. In fact, I had this idea in my mind. God, I will, when we were praying about planning, God, we will go wherever you want please don't send us to Orangeburg, South Carolina, right? right? I just don't want to go there, right? But can I say something to you? I just turned 40 not too long ago. Um, I know I look like I'm 25, but I just turned 40. And the older I get, the more I have this experience in life. Like the things that I ran away from, I, this may not make any sense to you. The things that I ran away from, I'm now trying to get back to. Does that make sense to some of you guys here this morning? Like I'm trying to get back to some of them. What are those things? It means good relationships. I'm trying to get back to family. Trying to be, be around a table where there's good food and we enjoy each other. And so Solomon is saying, he's making this statement to us here in chapter nine, verse seven through 10. We've said it before in this series. And we'll say it again today. Joy only exists in the present. Joy only exists in the present. Furthermore, and if you want to write this down, it may be good for you. The joy that God intends for your life is right in front of you. The joy that God intends for you is right in front of you. Do you know most of us, a lot of us, this is why this is convicting to me in my life. Because there's parts of my life, I want to get back to some of these. I want to, I want to be back to being close to my mom. And I want to be back to being around a table of good. I mean, and like we're trying to get back to something or we're working our tails off to get to something in the future. And Solomon wants to posture again this idea to us. The joy that God has for your life, it's right in front of you. It's in this moment that I've given you. But you know what? Everything in life mitigates against this idea. Everything in life mitigates against this principle of joy being right in front of you. Think about it for a moment. Social media. Social media provides this escape from our reality into somebody else's reality. You know what I'm talking about? Think about our obsession with work for a moment. Like we work so desperately hard because it, 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 it's, a, it's a symbol of something in the future that we're trying to get to. And we work these long days and we finally get off and we go home to a roommate or to a friend or to our family and we've got nothing left to give. You know what I'm talking about? 
Or, or Apple. We've got a guy in our church that works for Apple. Apple has already told us that the future is virtual reality through your phone. You don't have to live in this reality. You can live in another reality. The Bible says if you try that, joy will elude you because joy in your life is right in front of you. And so we find it so much easier, right? I, like, this is so convicting to me. We find it so much easier to escape this reality. Or maybe we just, we're just going to endure this current reality. And we miss the opportunity to enjoy life and receive today as a gift from God. So in light of the first six verses of chapter 9, Solomon postures this idea of death. And he's got a clear proposal to us this morning. And Solomon wants to say to us this morning that we shouldn't let our ambition for success or the opportunity for escape ruin the time that you have right now. It's as if Solomon wants to say to us in the Colony Theater in 2018 in Los Angeles, the ability to enjoy life is not just a gift from God. Listen, some of you who are the ascetics who believe growth and godliness is to extract everything from life, Listen, today, the ability to enjoy life is not just a gift from God. Listen, it's his desire for you. Verse 7 says, verse 7 tells us when, when Solomon mentions to us, for God has already approved what you do. It gives us this idea. If we break down these, the, the syntax and the meaning in the Hebrew here, it gives us this idea that God takes pleasure in your joy in the moment. If you remember back several weeks ago, Tyler preached through Ecclesiastes chapter 3. If you remember the context there, you, we've sung it in songs. Uh, we've heard it in, in culture. But it's this passage on time, particularly seasons. There's a time for everything, right? And so back in Ecclesiastes chapter 3, Solomon was even as in the midst of talking about the absurdity of life. Solomon's talking about embracing the season that you're in. Why? Because joy exist only in that moment. So use that moment. Experience that moment profitably, faithfully. And then we get to the New Testament. And we have this man that really, all of Scripture is really about, from Genesis 1-1 to Revelation 22-21. Really, all of Scripture is about this one man. And we know him as Jesus. And we get to this one experience in Matthew chapter 11, verse 19. And here is where we find Jesus. The Son of Man came eating and drinking. <laughs> and the ascetics in the room get really nervous. And we're like, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Don't tell me to enjoy like I'm supposed to subtract and extract. And then, and then the cheap grace people in the room are like, see, that's what I told you. you know, no, nothing is off limits, right? And then this is what the ascetics said to Jesus as they watched him. They say, here is a glutton and a drunkard, and a friend of tax collectors and sinners. But listen to the last part of that verse. We're going to talk about this next week, living a life, understanding a life of wisdom. The last part of that verse says, but wisdom proved right. It's proved right by her deeds. And so we have this experience both in what Solomon is saying, and then we carry it over into the life of Jesus, that this is the moment that God has given. There's not another one that's promised. And actually, it sounds like James chapter 4. The brother of Jesus made this statement in James chapter 4, verse 14, that your life is like a vapor. It's like a mist, boom, and it's gone. 
Solomon is here saying the exact same thing. This is the only moment we've been given. Enjoy this moment. A lot of my fondest memories of my grandparents, um, my, my dad's parents, uh, I called her Nanny Kate and I called him Granddaddy Wyman. I had another grandfather who was in a wheelchair. We called him Granddaddy Wheelchair. That's probably not PC today, but anyway, so, so Granddaddy Wyman, Nanny Kate. I, I, some of my fondest memories with them were over a table and a dinner table and a plate of food. And um, my grandmother had a philosophy in life. She, she never ate anything gluten-free. She never ate anything vegan. Uh, she never had a seaweed chip in her life. Uh, she just loved good fried food, right? And her philosophy was, well, I'm going to die someday of something. I might as well die happy, right? And so I remember a lot of our most precious moments around a table of food. And a lot of those moments were around this table at this, this fine restaurant um, called Waffle House. <laughs> Anybody ever been to Waffle House? Okay, let me see who's saved in the house. Anybody been to Waffle House? All right, very good. Some of you guys know what I'm talking about. Waffle House is quite possibly the dirtiest, most disgusting, most unhealthy restaurant on the planet. And I love it. It's so good. And so a lot of our memories um, with my grandparents were around the table of food. And so we're at Waffle House one particular evening. And um, this was after my dad had passed. And we often reminisced and talk about how much we missed my dad. And um, at this point in life, my grandparents are in their upper 70s, about to move into their 80s. And they went back to work. Our family owned a service station. We had a record business. We sold cars. We did, we did all kinds of stuff. And, and so um, at this point in life, my grandfather had gone back to work. And one day he was on the back of a roll bed, uh, uh, um, uh, a roll bed, is that right? A wrecker. You know what I'm talking about? It's got a flat bed. Um, and, um, and he fell off the back of that wrecker one day. And uh, we never would have known it unless he came into the office with his head bleeding. But when he fell off the back of the wrecker, his head hit these concrete steps down below. And um, at that point, things began to change in life for him. We began to understand that um, something was not right in his brain at that point. And so he developed Alzheimer's and, and uh, eventually dementia. And so we're at the Waffle House in this season of life. My dad has passed. My grandparents are looking forward to the future. And, and so my grandparents have bought these four plots, these four cemetery plots. One for my grandmother, one for my grandfather, one for my dad who was already buried there, and then one next to him for my mom. And so at the table that night, my grandmother was talking about um, how she takes flowers to my grandfather's grave pretty frequently. And if you live in the same town where you have relatives who have family plots, it's a, sort of a common occurrence. And so she talked about taking flowers to his grave. And in that conversation, my grandmother made a statement to me that stuck with me for now, gosh, it feels like years and years and years. And her statement to me was so profound about this moment. And she said to me, son, she always called me son. Son, don't wait until I'm dead to bring me flowers. Don't wait until I'm dead to bring me flowers. In other words, this day's never happened before. This day will never happen again, son. Let's enjoy each other in the moment that God has given. And that's what Solomon wants to posture to us today. The most difficult news, in my opinion, is to wake up one day and hear about the death of a person that seemed to have come too soon. And the reason is because we never expect 
things to come that soon to somebody who's so young in life. But Solomon says, there's only one thing in life that's certain. That's death. It's gonna happen to all of us. So I believe Solomon's wisdom to us on this Mother's Day, by the way, is this. Joy is wrapped in a gift called today. So we should experience it while it's still possible. Can I suggest to you just a few things and then we're gonna close this morning. Just a few things to you and we're gonna close this morning about experiencing the joy of today that I think is wrapped in this biblical theology of joy. The first is this, slow down. This is something I personally wrestle with. In Luke chapter 10, we see the record of two women. And one of them is sitting at the feet of Jesus and the other is preparing the house for this meeting. And the one who's preparing the house, it says in chapter, uh, Luke chapter 10, and she went up to Jesus and she said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her to help me. And Jesus said, Martha, Martha, you're anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. Mary chose this moment where she would sit at the feet of Jesus and she would worship. You've heard me say this a thousand times here and I want to continue to repeat it to you because I think there's a lot of wisdom in it and I hope our staff will model it for you. You need a daily and a weekly rhythm of Sabbath in your life. You need to slow down and sit at the feet of Jesus. That's why I believe these Sundays are so important. They're not just a religious experience. It's not if you come to church, God will bless you this week. That's not the experience. We need to come to this moment and slow down and sit at the feet of Jesus, as appealing as it is to go to Las Vegas every weekend, to go to the beach. We need to slow down, sit at the feet of Jesus. Here's the second thought. Remember the gospel. Deuteronomy 6.12, take care then lest you forget the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. We see this command over and over in Scripture to remember the work of God, to remember the gospel. Last week, we remembered that through the taking of the bread and the juice to remember the body and the blood that was shed for us. Remember the things that God has done in your life. Remember the gospel. Pastor Matt, what is the gospel? That you're more sinful than you ever imagined. And simultaneously, you are more loved than you could ever believe. And you need to remember that daily. And then finally, and we're done, be grateful. Be grateful. 2 Corinthians 9, 15. Thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. Do you know that today is the only day we've been given? We don't know what tomorrow holds. It's never happened before. will never happen again. Are you grateful for it? I am so grateful for a day. My father-in-law is in town. I'm grateful for this day. And this is a challenge to me this week. Slow down. Remember the gospel. Be grateful. And I hope you'll do that this week too. It's the only day God's given. The joy that God wants to offer us is not in a future moment. It's not necessarily in the past. It's in this moment that he's given. So enjoy this day. I want to pray for us. Jesus, thank you for today. God, let us not take for granted that May 13th, 2018 has never happened before and will never happen again. And God, let us experience, let us taste the joy that is your gift to us today. What a day to do that, Mother's Day. God, give us this, this practical expression, this practical experience of the spirit of the living God allowing us to experience the joy of this moment. 
Thank you, Jesus. In your precious name we pray. Amen. Amen.